0: to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company.
1: Thursdays, Silver 7s, means college football is on the way. Michael Felder joins us from Stadium on Twitter at in the Bleachers. All right, got to start out with a real interesting story because uh, I feel like this applies to uh, some of the stuff I do and some of the stuff you do. But uh, Texas Tech, apparently their announcers got in trouble for uh, – Getting a little loose at the end of the game last week. The announcers have been pulled from the game and are, were actually reprimanded by Bob Bolsby and the Big Twelve. What do you think of this?
2: Yeah, it's one of those things where you can only go so far if you if it's the company that you work for, right? Like and in theory at least. And it's 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 not the it's not a one to one with like Learfield or, or Westwood like coming at them for saying that, but it is one of those things where when you are employed by the university, that is partners with the rest of the big 12, they're like, Hey, you can't say this stuff. So I think it's very similar to um, their view. I think they are viewing it in the scope of like the way that coaches are. When coaches talk about officials, those coaches usually end up getting fined as well. Right. And so I think they're looking at it in that same scope where, Hey man, you, you, you work, we we're supposed to be working together. You can't just do this. And so, it was interesting. I listened to the stuff that they were saying. I went back. I listened to the audio, and it was just they're frustrated and, and upset. And one thing I will tell folks this, there aren't any really good refs. There aren't refs that people are going to be happy about. There aren't. I know everybody thinks their team is the most persecuted in Michigan or Ohio State or Alabama or in – what was the case in this game? Who was it? Who – you think that Iowa State gets all the calls because that's who the Big 12 is really focused in on? Or maybe they're just not doing that good of a job. And so every conference thinks they have the worst refs. Every fan thinks the refs are against their team. And you're going to save yourself a lot of grief if you just kind of realize that it's a a super inexact science, maybe the most inexact science in the entire sport. And that's what you're going to get.
1: Man, we just mentioned Iowa State, and I, I'm I'm done. I don't know what the hell they're going to do week to week, and right now uh, money's coming in, it seems like, on uh, Iowa State, because the number's gone down, so what happens in this game with Oklahoma and Iowa
2: State? Oof. I think we've got to, we're have we going to see some problems for, for Oklahoma. This is a very complex defense. Now, the question is, can Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, can all those guys, Charlie Kohler, can those guys uh, keep pace or and, and find ways to get into the end zone? We'll see what that looks like, but we saw last week, right? Dave Aranda widely considered one of the best defensive minds in college football, and we saw what he was able to do to Caleb Williams. I think this is going to be another one of those where this Iowa State defense that runs everything from a 4-man front to a 2-man front, 3-man front, odd, even, they run some over stuff like every they what they they're going to confuse Caleb Williams. And when you've got a guy Who's got a thimble full of a of a of the of the playbook? Mm-hmm. He's going to have some problems. We saw that manifest itself a week ago, and I think we'll see it manifest itself this week. It's just a matter of if Iowa State can take advantage. So,
1: uh, Texas Tech, you know, was without a coach. Now they've anointed the guy. Uh, yep. V Tech is now at the end of the Justin Fuente era. I wonder what the drive will be for the team taking on Miami.
2: I think this is – it's an interesting spot because they're so far removed from Beamer that none of these guys are Beamer guys. They're just – they're guys who went to Virginia Tech because of – either they went because of Fuente or they went because of what Virginia Tech had been. And so the drive is, I guess, to not lose. And I don't think anybody that's a competitor or anybody that competes, you know, they, they don't want to lose. And we'll see what that looks like on the field. I think the big key here is going to be how they fight. I mean, this team – I mean, it's a, it's a, it's, Let's put it this way. This is a tough spot. Like if you're a gambler, I would not bet on this football game. (laughs) And it's one of those things where you look at what they bring to the table and they're playing, oh, by the way, a Miami team. That's in the situation that they were in for most of the season, right? right? Right. Like it's a Miami team that also is like, I guess our coach is probably going to get fired when Kiffin rumors are swirling around. So neither one of these teams, like, The question of motivation, I don't know. I don't know because both of these teams could be – like what are we going to – what's a game look like when two teams don't want to play it? (laughs) Yeah,
1: right, right. Uh, This is my favorite time of year, though, because you just mentioned all these different jobs, and now we start debating what's the better job, which is better. And I saw Ole Miss people going crazy last night off of, I guess, a Nevin Shapiro report that uh, that Lane Kiffin could be interested in Miami – but the old miss people are going crazy. I'm sure South Carolina folks are going to be like, how dare, you know, Shane Beamer potentially go back to Virginia Tech? Uh, first on Virginia Tech. Will Beamer just say, you know what, South Carolina, thanks, but now the job opened up.
2: I I don't know if they want to go back down that path. We've seen it with Scott Frost not go so well, right? And maybe and, and Harbaugh's been a mixed bag. Like, yes, they do win 10 games, but they haven't achieved the apex that they wanted with him. So I don't know if you do that. And it's going to be interesting to see what they want because you're not going to be able to reclaim the Frank Beamer era by just hiring Shane Beamer. You're not. That's not how it works. The game's completely changed. It's a different world. But the name obviously has stake. And then obviously you're bringing back in Frank as an ambassador for the program could go a long way to recruiting, go a long way to getting back to into that tidewater, that H2O area uh, in the eastern part of the state. But I also think for Virginia Tech, they, they, they've they got to figure out who they are because who they were was we get a couple of superstar players, Michael Vick, Macho Harris, uh, the Fuller brothers, and then the rest of our roster is a bunch of guys that we're giving them a chance to play college football. And I think there's a humongous difference between giving someone a chance to play college football and convincing them they're going to play college football no matter what, but convincing them that this is where you should play and chris peterson went through a big stretch of that when he was at washington right where he went from giving someone a chance at boise state to working with people at washington to, to recruiting kids to washington who are like yeah man you got to sell me because if i don't go here i'll go to usc i'll go to Oregon, i'll go to i'll go i'll go to notre dame i'll go somewhere so sell me and i think it's a different pitch and i think virginia tech has to figure out what they want to be and who they are so that'll be interesting um with respect to where you rank these jobs, I think we've reached a space where the money is so much. Take the job that you want, not the job you think you should take. Right. And we did this thought exercise over at Stadium, because I'll be honest with you, Steve, I'm tired. Cofield, I'm tired mm-hmm. of ranking jobs. Yeah. Yeah. I've been doing it for a decade now. I'm tired of being like USC over LSU. No, LSU over USC. But when you look at the geography and where the, the per capita, five, I'm tired of doing that. <laughs> And so we kind of shifted the – the we shifted the um, – we shifted that – we moved that schema around a little bit, right, to where it became most desirable jobs. And for me, I think LSU is desirable. I have family there. I would live there. I would I could live in – I can get good grits in Louisiana. Uh, Virginia Tech is less than three hours away from my my home in Charlotte. My mom could come up all the time. So that's more desirable right, to me than right. living in that, – that's more desirable than living in L.A., and if we're talking about the difference between one of these coaches making four million dollars and making the six million dollars or what have you, the reality of it is, you're going to get more. If you it's going to be easier for you. It's going to be better for you if you take. And we're seeing coaches do it already. Not that they're taking less money on purpose, but we're seeing coaches stay places that they feel more comfortable. Mel Tucker at Michigan State, he feels more comfortable than going back into the, the SEC. And people are going to say, well, he doesn't want to compete against Bama. He doesn't want to go against a and But also, he's comfortable at Michigan State. He likes what he's got there. I think Paul Chris is another one, right? He's a guy who is a really good coach, has done a really good job. But he's not even entertaining offers for other jobs. One, he's not interesting. So people don't, aren't he's not on everyone's quick list, but he also is super comfortable. And I think you have to pick something. It's not about ranking jobs anymore because as we've seen, you can get your quote unquote dream job if you're at Orgeron and you can also get fired. Like in the words of, what is it, Snoop Dogg or somebody, punks jump up to get beat down. And we're literally watching coaches jump up to get these big time jobs and then get fired because they don't deliver big time results. And I think that we have to change not just the narrative, but coaches have to change their mode of thinking. Now that the money is all there, it's yep. all money. Yep, It, it all spins. you got to find a job that you're comfortable with. And so, well, yes, LSU, USC, the two best jobs. And then you can debate Washington versus Virginia Tech. But the reality of it is, like, does Lane Kiffin want the smoke that comes with Miami? Does he want that? Like, the idea of – because if he goes to Miami, they better be in the ACC championship game. Every year, especially coming out of the coastal and you got to, like you, you got to recruit kids to Miami and Miami don't have the money. Miami don't want to have, they don't, they don't, it's it's a different world. It's crazy to say this. And I think a lot of folks don't realize this. Ole Miss has more money than Elle, than, than Miami. Mm-hmm. They got more money than Miami. And while it's a harder division, they got, if money is the thing that's motivating you, you stay at Ole Miss if winning is what motivates you or let's be real. I think he likes South Florida. This is a guy that, you know, like his dad was a guru for the bucks. He likes Florida. That's his energy. He likes Florida and California. That's we know that about him, right? right. This is a guy that left in the middle of the night to go to USC. Cause he likes California. He went to what Fresno state. He likes California. And he was like, yeah, F-A-U-L, absolutely. I'll take the shot. And he likes Florida. He likes Florida. He likes being in Florida. Like he likes, those are the two places that he likes. So I'm very curious to see what happens. Uh, But that goes back to my lifestyle point, right? He'd rather, I I can't imagine that he's enjoying himself living in Mississippi.
1: (laughs) 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 Michael Felder's with us. He's the college football expert from stadium. There's a lot to unpack in there and you covered a bunch of stuff. Let me start with um, I listen. If Mel Tucker gets an extension, whatever it is, ten years and ninety-five million dollars, yeah. good for him. But I gotta tell you, as absurd as the you know Justin Fuente situations are, when you have a couple of five hundred seasons, everyone's like, get him out of here. This is even this is crazier because I remember people last year with Michigan State. They're like, eh, Is Mel Tucker the right guy? And now, like, two thirds into the next season, he takes advantage of the transfer portal. I think he's a good coach. And, like, Michigan State's fallen over themselves. Let's sign him up until the end of his life. I'm like, I, I just don't get what's going on in college football and the desperation just throwing money at guys who are hot
0: for a season.
2: Yeah, it's, um, I think desperation is the best word because everyone's desperate to win. Everyone's desperate to find, quote unquote, the guy. And for me, I think I think one of the biggest benefits with respect to how they've used the transfer portal is Mel Tucker, I think, at the core is still an NFL guy. Right. And so as an NFL guy, he's in an advantageous position. Because not only did he learn recruiting and work recruiting under Nick Saban and under Kirby Smart, he's got a decade of NFL stuff to lean back on where you're bringing free – they bring free agents in in the middle of the week that have to start yep, games. Yep, yep, yep. Like, he gets – he's like, you know what, I, if I can marry these two things, I think we've got a way to make this work, and he's doing it right now. Um, but I think it's going to be interesting, one, what the recruiting class looks like in December, two – how they hit the portal again, mm-hmm. and how they juggle all those things. I think he is a good coach. I liked what he was trying to build towards at Colorado. I do think that we didn't get to see much of it, but I liked what he was like the like all that. I paid a lot of attention to him at Colorado because uh, I thought McIntyre was. Uh, I, I thought Mike McIntyre also did a good job of, of like building up that program, and they had a couple of really good years. And I thought Mel Tucker could also get them back to that. And he's doing it now just at Michigan State, and we'll see what it looks like. But I also think that this is Michigan State making a play not just to create pressure for somewhere like Michigan, but also to solidify something. This is a remember, this program was in limbo for a while in terms of will he, won't they with the Antonio? He left like in the that was another. Mm -hmm. bizarre time to leave they've had to deal with some scandals with football but also the obviously gymnastics and then just an all sports situation and i think they're saying we like the culture we like this program so they're buying in uh to give him jimbo money wow i like my agent a lot Uh, his agent (laughs) is his agent is a monster
1: yeah uh, and by the way, get the deal done now because who knows what's going to happen against Ohio State. And I've already, I've already bet Michigan State plus 19, but mm-hmm. I'm a little afraid of that's it. That's the line? The, the number, yeah, I know. The number seems so gigantic. It seems like such a logical play to bet on Michigan State. But and now I'm starting to think, like, maybe Ohio State just goes in there and beats them by freaking 28, and they can't keep up, and they can't backdoor it.
2: Yeah, and that's the big thing for me is watching, um, watching uh, the Michigan-Michigan State game where Michigan came out and – pretended to be Western Kentucky for a little while and then decided, no, we can't do this anymore. And they end up losing the game. I think the other part of it is, is that um the um, the other part of it for me at least is watching how they work to handle Ohio State. They're not good when it comes to pass defense. They're really bad. Like we are so far removed from when they were the no-fly zone with Harlan Barnett and they had what Darquez Denard and Trey Wayne and all these guys they're so far removed from that they're the worst pass defense in the entire country and to watch the way they play I'm sorry babe my wife went to Michigan <laughs> State she was just downstairs getting stuff for her daughter and she was looked at me with a sad face like you don't have to bring that up but the reality of it is they're so far removed from that and Mel Tucker's a defensive backs coach and he knows so he knows it right he knows that their secondary ain't hitting on it he knows that they have to score. And I do respect the coach who understands the best thing that I can do for my defense is not yell at these guys, which Nick Saban is also doing right now. It's not to yell at these guys. It's to try to build them up some confidence, to try to make them help, help them make plays. And what the best, the best thing that I can do for my defense is to score some points and they find a way to do that. Ohio state's not very good against the pass, but I'll see if Kenneth Walker is able to get off on the ground too. So I think this is going to be an interesting football game.
1: Last one. I'm going to give you the uh, the CFP projected spreads from Vegas. So mm-hmm. Georgia's six and a half over Ohio State. That's one versus four. Alabama is fourteen against Oregon. I'll tell you that Vegas bookmakers have Oregon 9, 10, 11 in their power ratings. They just do not believe in the Ducks. And you know what? I'm I'm kind of with them. I. It's kind yeah. of amazing here. They're, they are the number three team in the CFP. They're facing the number 23 or 24 team in Utah, and Oregon is a dog. They're, they're getting three yeah. in this game against Utah.
2: Yeah, I my producer got my producer's a gambler. He got really mad at me when I said this. I said, can Utah pull the upset? He goes, it's not an upset.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs>
2: yep, yep. Utah's a favorite. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> but it's one of those – the big thing for me here, I think it's a different Oregon team than we're used to seeing. And so, yes, they are – it's okay that they're a dog in this football game because they're not – they are – the margin for error for them from a from an offensive standpoint is so much smaller than we're used to seeing, right? We're used to Marcus Mariota, fill, fill up the scoreboard, go crazy, go crazy uh, Black Mamba, go nuts. We're used to seeing LaMichael James, go crazy. And this is a team that's a lot more run-the-ball-play defense – And they play really good defense. I really love – like at all levels, they've got a guy that I just am absolutely fawning all over, whether it's Kayvon Thibodeau and Noah Sewell, but also Verone McKinley in the back end. So they play good defense. The 14 number versus Alabama, I think that does a little disrespect to Oregon's offense and probably too much respect to Alabama's defense, which has not been very good. They they have not been very good. And we've had a couple of press conferences uh, post-games – or post game pressers and post game interviews where Nick Saban, he's like, defense doing all they can. They're trying their hardest, where he's just basically like, I can't hurt these guys' feelings. They might get worse than they are. And then the other part of it is him going, Yeah, we like there, there's a look in his face, and it's the look, you know, the look. It's, it's basically the look where he's thinking, If these other coaches were smarter, they would have beat me. And he's just like, these guys just aren't as good as I am. So I can kind of juke my way through things. But once I get to somebody that's got, whether it's equal talent or equal brains or worse, both we're going to be in some trouble and he's going to have to pull out some tricks. And I'm very curious for those out there. Listen, I know this is the last one. I want to be quick here. Watch how much he starts to run Bryce. Watch how much Bryce young runs when they get to the SEC championship against Georgia. If they get into the playoff, watch if They use Bryce young as a runner because I feel like that's a thing they've been sitting on hard, and I think that it comes out then because, again, he knows he's got to do something extra to win, and I think that might be one of the tickets.
1: Awesome spot. As always, enjoy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Sounds
2: good, man. You take it easy.
1: There he is, Michael Felder, our college football insider on Thursdays. the spot today is brought to you by the best after party. In all of Las Vegas, following the LVR games, since he's in town, and you can walk right across the street, and the spot is Crazy Horse 3. Gentleman's Club, right now Ari's going to hook you up with a VIP package that includes a table, entry for four, and you'll get a bucket or a bottle, 364-1100, 364-1100, caller 6 and 7, you get hooked up with a VIP treatment at Crazy Horse 3. Gentleman's Club, Fox Sports Radio will be on the scene party hosted by Greg Salerno starting right after the game going from 4 to 7 at Crazy Horse 3 gentlemen's Club.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. Hooray! Let's go! The Football Frenzy.
2: Hey, you hit me so hard down there?
0: Presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. The Football Frenzy. On Cofield and Company. Company. Football friends at Silver 7s.
1: Flamingo and Paradise, come on down. We got some prizes to give away, some T-shirts, tickets for Rebel football, UNLV taking on San Diego State at Allegiant, 8.30 start tomorrow night. It's a Friday game. There's also a basketball game. Running Rebels over at T-Mobile. That's a 9.30 start. We had Miami Ed stop by earlier, so come on by. Willie's here. It's Cofield for now. Who knows? We might lose our job. We could say something that could be over the line. Uh, We mentioned the story yesterday that the Big 12 got all pissed off at Texas Tech's play-by-play guy and analyst. You know, kind of like the Russ Langer and Caleb Herring for Texas Tech football, right? They're getting frustrated towards the end of the game. The, they believe the officials have called a terrible game and been disorganized. Fire some of the sound.
3: Yeah, they're looking well, at it. Chris, this, this is another ridiculous thing about this officiating group. Take control. Yeah. Get on the microphone and explain what's happening. Now they're going to take a TV timeout, guys. You know, get on the microphone and explain what is happening so that the fans understand and that they can be told and that everyone else here can understand and be told.
1: Okay, so they felt like they were disorganized. Again, this was Texas Tech. Iowa State, as a result, the Big 12 came down on these announcers and pulled them from the next game this weekend against Okie State. So they miss out on some money there, and they were chastised. Basically told, hey, you're an extension of the university. Uh, It's unprofessional to get after the officials. Uh, There was nothing mentioned about the Big 12 or Bob Bowlesby. Keep going. I'll say it right now. The Big 12 does
3: not want Iowa State to lose this game. Yeah, Bob Bowlesby, you need to – Answer to this. This is this is ridiculous. I've seen some this is ridiculous. today. This is ridiculous. The inconsistency of this referee crew yes. in favor of Iowa State today.
1: Okay. So they felt like it was in favor of Iowa State. So keep in mind what they just said there. And then they get to a later point, and they decided to start calling out the officials. Actually, I don't have a big problem with this uh, unless – you start saying, hey, go to their houses and beat them up.
3: Go attack them in the parking lot. And, you know, we haven't – we've only pointed out two guys. I'm going to read them all to you. Michael Vandervelde, the referee, the umpire, Robert Richeson, John Braun, the headlinesman, the line judge, Darren Deckard, Robert Asel, the field judge, side judge, Fulton Carson, Brian Ernest, the back judge, the center judge, Chris Talent – and Gene Semco the replay official. Those that is your officiating crew people that is completely out of control here. Okay, Willie?
1: All right. Did you hear something in those three bites that deserves the- a reprimand and also being pulled from
4: their next game and losing out on a paycheck? The only possible was the second bite in that they were blaming or accusing. Excuse me, not blaming, but accusing and alleging that they were tilting the game toward Iowa State. The first comment was made sense, right? Let's give an explanation. They weren't ridiculing. They're were saying, "Hey, go into a TV, TV get on the mic, explain what's going on." That that's not a that's not that's not slamming anything.
1: No, that that, and, hap- and, and that the- happens in many games when there seems to be disorganization with the officials. Let's get the story, fellas. Right? And
4: the third and one, the third one. I have no problem with them announcing who it was. He didn't tell them to go find their houses or anything. Mm-hmm. The bottom That's kind of like public information. I mean, when we sit down tonight in a few hours, and I'm sitting atop T-Mobile on the Jumbotron, they'll list who tonight's officials are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only guy that actually gets we a call out, inside we call- T-Mobile is uh, is the is, is the guy who called the major on, uh, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head, called the major on Cody Eakin, the second season up in San Jose. But uh, those things are easily found, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, these days... The game notes, remember back in the day before the internet, Steve, when we you had to show up to the university to pick up the paper game notes, right? I mean, Mark Wallington has to be the hardest working SID because that dude would have them bright and early every Monday. You had to drive down to the university to get them. Now, the public can get it. They can download them, the PDF, the game notes, print them out. A lot of times the official's information is on there. So the only possible one is the second one. And they were – they took it upon themselves to accuse them to allege that they felt, in their opinion, that they were tilting, slanting toward Iowa State. They didn't really raise their voice either. I know a local guy who goes off and is commentating. All
3: right,
1: coming up, we'll get to uh, J.R. Tolver, who's a pregame host for San Diego State. We'll talk San Diego State football against – UNLV also played wide receiver for the Aztecs. And uh, we also have to get on uh, what's going on with the
0: Raiders and these slow starts. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune up today by calling 577-2600. We just got to continue to be a professional football team and, you know, put ourselves in the best position to go out there and win games, as cliche as it sounds. It's it's tough when you have four or five days now to kind of dwell on, you know, what could have happened in that game, but we got a very hungry team coming into our stadium that we got to continue to protect. Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company.
1: Kenyon Drake, you know, saying all the right things. A lot of guys are talking about turning the page, moving forward, got to start looking ahead. Don't worry about the last couple of games. We'll get to the fact that the Raiders have had a tough time getting out of the gates, and that's not helping them. Got to get off to better starts, and they did early in the season. I do have to mention breaking news. So a story came out about an hour ago. uh, Headline, Antonio Brown obtained fake COVID-19 vaccination card. Former chef alleges. Okay, so this is a big part of the story. Once again, Antonio Brown has gotten himself embroiled with someone who claims that Brown owes money. If this is true, this guy is the he is the ultimate stiff. How many times have people come at him and said, like, dude, pay us what you owe us? And I just saw Bobani Jones is like, when is this guy going to learn if you don't pay people, then your secrets are fair game at that point. They're going to snitch on you. So the allegation is, this guy Stephen Ruiz says, that Brown had his girlfriend, Sidney Moreau, reach out to the chef over the summer to obtain a fake vax card. Said Brown had received... Oh, no, the, fa- the that the fake vax card should say he received the Johnson & Johnson shot. Moreau offered $500 for... The fake Vax card. He was unable to acquire the card for Brown, but he says the receiver a few weeks later showed him ones that he had for him and that uh, Moreau had purchased. Now, the Buccaneers have come back and said, hey, we checked all the Vax cards. We found no irregularities. That doesn't mean that that there wasn't a fake Vax card. But again, this could be a bunch of poppycock Um I wanted to use that word earlier, so I figured I'd put it in here. Um, This could just be someone who is annoyed with Antonio Brown because he's owed money. It's a beef. He could be lying. But once again, Antonio Brown, because of the way he behaves and operates around people, has at least got himself in some hot water, whether legitimate
4: or not. What it does is it brings to light how easy it is, apparently, to... Come up with fake VAX cards. It, it, we don't even know that it's true. No, but, but but if it is, but what I'm saying is, is that if it's an issue, regardless, it's an allegation. If if okay, my point is this: if if it's not possible, then the allega- then you couldn't make the allegation. So it shouldn't be an issue, right? What it's doing is it's bringing to light how simple, obviously, it can be that there are that they are out there, and they can be used. And they are being used because you're alleging it. I mean, if it was that hard or if it that unlikely, why would that be, you know, why would it even be an issue? I'm not saying that it's true with this particular case, but we were talking about this. Was it yesterday? Talking about the apps to use and how you could just scan. Or was that Monday? But, no, it was you and I yesterday because you, you scan the thing into the app and then you just show the app. They don't look. They're not going to verify. What are they going to do, government check? Call the health department. Oh, let's check Steve Colefield's vax card. Well, There's no confirmation. You flash your app, you walk in. Who's doing the background checks? I've sent my vax card to every single um, team, uh, the Vegas Kickoff Classic, the Raiders, the Golden Knights, everything that I've had to get a credential for since really the start of sports, the fall sports season. Nobody's double-checked. They just said, okay, thanks, we got it. I could have gotten yours, sent it to a graphic artist, and then professionally put my name on it.
1: I would never let you. I'm just wrote saying. me in for any sort of that skullduggery.
4: Shenanigans. That yes. poppycock.
1: Yes. Shenanigans like that. Now, I will say, when you hear Antonio Brown and fake Vaxcard, your first reaction is? Maybe.
4: Well. Maybe. basically. And, based and, here, the and he, here's the thing. He's had a little trouble in the past telling the truth about some of his ordeals. Here's the other thing.
1: His is we're we're feet.
4: missing we're missing the whole what, uh, uh, another point here is that you started off and you mentioned is that the guy got stiffed. I mean, how much money does this guy have that you stiff somebody? How much? Five hundred bucks? Is that what you said?
1: No, no, he owes him ten thousand.
4: Oh, ten thousand! But even still, yeah. that's a trip to Vegas for these guys. I mean, oh, forget it. I don't.
1: I <laughs> <laughs> forget it. Uh, good news from the sports world: hometown hero Bryce Harper won his second NL MVP award. Baseball always does the Really good job of blowing this up and making sure Making sure on a Wednesday, what's today, Thursday? Thursday during the football season that they kind of slip in the MVP award. But, yeah, Bryce has won his second for NL him. MVP award. Yep. And, uh, you know, for all those Philly fans who were a little frustrated at the start of his run with the Phillies, he had a good year this year. Second highest um, season war number. I think his yep. career high is like 9-1 this year. Really good year. Had no one on base for most of the year. And uh, finished with like a 6.5 war.
4: I cannot wait. And I'm predicting it'll be next season that Bryce Harper and Bryson Stott will be in the lineup at the same time. And that's going to be just fantastic because, you know, these two are good friends and Bryce has been in the league for a while. And Bryson now, you know, just finished his first full minor league season. He's currently down in Arizona. He made the they call it the fall stars instead of all stars. Um but they're really good friends. They did a lot of training during the pandemic and during the off season, um, and they've gotten close now in the same organization. So I'm kind of looking forward to two locals. I mean, and Bryson's tearing it up, man. I mean, realistically, this dude is hitting pitches that are major league speeds, and and different, you know, angles and the sliders and the curves and the this. I mean, he is. You talk about a hitter. Forget about the defense. You, I mean, you know over at UNLV what he did. But anyway, I can't wait till next year because I think they're going to be playing together. Both local dudes, CSN
1: and UNLV. And I want to remind po- uh, people that UNLV this Friday night, the game at Allegiance. And uh, also on Tuesday, UNLV football food drive. You drop off non-perishable food items when going into the game at Allegiant. So that would be a cool thing to do. Or... Uh, do it by tuesday at the fertita football complex on campus Uh, you can do that between 9a
4: and 3p willie yesterday we talked a little bit i didn't mean to interrupt your read there but i wanted to just jump in real quick steve seriously yesterday we did a little bit of a read for the chris richardson thing you just did a read we're coming up on the holidays you know what nobody's asking for a big handout here and there some are some aren't but if it's a if it's if it's a can of food if it's a blanket if it's a jacket if it's a pair of shoes whatever you can do around town just remember what we went through last year everybody and and if you have a chance do do your part and just
0: help out join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas
1: and a parson Parson is hit and dropped and he's short of a first down. He got, he needed three. He got a yard and a half at the most. And the Rebels take over, and the Rebels are already starting to celebrate.
0: Hanging at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver Sevens, it's Cofield and Company.
1: Well, the Rebels have had a rough season. They've won two in a row, but, you know, two and eight is two and eight. And, you know, there's a lot of stories in this season to tell. A lot of close games, a lot of close games. And that was a, A fourth down stop, and they've had a bunch of those this year. They've had goal line stops. It's actually been one of the strengths of the team this year. Their run defense at times has been really stout against some good teams, and it has to be this week against San Diego State. This guy played for the Aztecs. He's pregame host. He's around the program, J.R. Tolver, who uh, played uh, late 90s or early 2000s for San Diego State. It's up with Cofield and company. How are you, sir?
5: I'm doing good, gents. Thanks for having me on.
1: So uh, those of us who cover UNLV football look at San Diego State, and it's like, hey, that's where the Rebels want to be someday. Um, and they also want to be in this position. San Diego State this year, this is an amazing number. 9-1 on the season, games decided by a touchdown or less, 5-0. Oh. So you tell me what's right about this team, that they do the little things that helps them win close games too.
5: You know, the, the team is kind of built in a way that uh, supports close games. Um, the way they play football isn't isn't designed to go out and, and, and light the scoreboard up. They, they like to control the clock, the time of possession uh, by running the football. They, they play good defense. Uh, they get a lot of turnovers defensively, play play good defense. And then they have a, a, a really robust special teams led by uh, probably an All-American punter when it's all said and done, Matt Ariza, who no matter where they are on the field, uh, tends to flip the field in their favor. So uh, those those one-score games uh, really are a byproduct of, of the style of football that they play.
4: Josh, San Diego State um, has, in reality, thrived on its defense and, and, and really progressed as the season has gone on and, and has been the bread and butter. The offense, on the other hand, it went from – averaging you know in the in the 30s and in the last uh, five games it scored 23 or less four of them 20 or less is the offense is it become complacent with the success the defense is having or is it is it something that's what's taking place with the offense where we're seeing the production from the Aztecs sort of tail off the second half of the season
5: you know, I, I think it has something to do with the with the opponents. I mean, the first few games of the season, uh, they played Mexico State, who struggled this year, um, beat a struggling Arizona team, and then you know scored 48 against Towson, who's a who's an FBS team. Uh, the 33 points that they scored against Utah came in a triple overtime victory. Um, so, so if you look at their last three or four games, their last three games, San Jose State. Uh, who, although their record isn't, you know, what, what they would want it to be is a very good football team. Uh, Air Force, Fresno State, uh, Hawaii and Nevada. Um, and I know, you know, V had some success last week against Hawaii. Uh, but as far as like the ability to score points, um, I think a lot of that has the, the, the tell off in points, I think a lot of it has to do with, uh, it seems like their schedule has gotten tougher as the season has gone, gone on
1: you feel like the Aztecs are the most comfortable they've been all year with a quarterback position?
5: You know, I really do. Um, What happened earlier in the season, Jordan Brookshire started for the Aztecs. Um, From a skill set perspective, Jordan and and Lucas Johnson are are pretty similar. Uh, They're they're athletic quarterbacks who can make plays with their legs and sometimes struggle um, with accuracy in the passing game, so... Jordan won the, the spot coming out of training camp, uh, suffered an injury. Lucas came in, did well in his in, in his absence. And then when Jordan came back in, uh, struggled a little bit more than the coaches would like to see. So they put Lucas back in, and, and Lucas seems to be settling in. I, I think a lot of that is because, uh, you know, this is a guess on my part. I think that coaching staff has have told him he's not on a short leash. You know, go out there, right. play your game. Right. We're not going to pull you out if you make a mistake and i think that that gives any quarterback uh comfort as it pertains to, to, to how they play
1: tell me if i'm crazy on this one if they use the transfer portal this offseason and they got you know a pretty high level quarterback transfer who was a little more accomplished as a thrower would they actually go into next year feeling comfortable to run a 50 50 offense pass a rush balance, or are they just, you know, this is what they do, so they don't need a guy who potentially is going to throw the ball forty times.
5: So, so if you if you talk to Jeff McClinsky the offensive coordinator for the Aztecs, he will tell you his goal is to be fifty fifty. He wants to to run the ball as much as he throws it. He believes that uh, one one complements the the other. Um, I think what we've seen though in this Aztecs passing game is the inability to consistently hit intermediate routes and also the ability to consistently uh hit the deep routes. Um and I think that, you know, if you're talking about having a you know a traditional passer, six foot five, somebody who understands how to stand back in the pocket, uh, is, is very accurate, not only on their short routes, but their intermediate routes and their deep routes. Um, I think you're absolutely right. I think that puts that Aztec team in a position to do more. Um, they're not doing more now. and It's not because they don't want to. It's because, uh, you know, Co- again, Coach Siklinski wants to be a 50-50 football team. I just think that right now they're, they're playing to their strengths, with this, which is running the football.
1: And there should be motivation on the San Diego State side for uh, you know, more than a few reasons with Vegas ties because of uh, uh, Jeff Horton and Hunky Cooper on the staff and also uh, multiple receivers from Vegas, a tight end from Vegas, so, and obviously when you're 9-1, and you're trying to finish off the season uh, in strong fashion. But uh, this is not a game I would assume San Diego State is going to let down for uh, coming here to play at Allegiant against a Vegas team they're very familiar with.
5: Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the, the thing about conference games, as you guys know, uh, any team can beat any team at any given time because these teams, not only do they know each other well, um, but a lot of these kids played against each other in high school, some of these kids played against one another. Youth, there's there's no fear uh, when a Mountain West team plays a Mountain West team d- despite the record. So, uh, but you're right. You know, San Diego State wants to come in. They want to play well. They have a lot on the line. First place in the in the Mountain West West Division, uh, looking to continue the the the, the path towards uh, playing for a Mountain West championship. They came out ranked number 19 in the college football playoff. They want to continue to climb there. And then obviously being a, a, UNLV, uh, football team at UNLV on the road is kind of the next, the next stop on that, on that journey. So I would expect those guys to come in, uh, ready to play, but also ready to understand that, uh, UNLV, uh, has found their stride winning the last two games and would love nothing better than to, uh, add Senegal State to that list.
1: And the dangerous thing with the Rebels is Charles Williams just went for 266. He had a 200-yard game earlier in the season against Utah State. I'm sure San Diego State staffers and and some of the players remember this too. UNLV went down uh, there to Qualcomm and actually got San Diego State uh, during the season. Uh, Lexington Thomas, who's one of the all-time leading rushers in the history of the Rebels program. So, hey, Charles Williams gets a little room, and it ain't going to be easy against Aztec defense, but that changes the whole game all of a sudden if he's popping off a couple of 40-yard runs and scoring touchdowns.
5: Yeah, absolutely, and you know, San Diego State wants to. Uh, number one, they they want to stop the run, but as you know, in the three three five defense, it, it, it creates holes, it creates gaps, and uh, if you if you are half an inch off in your alignment or in your gap control, with a good running back, um, a four yard gain could very easily turn into a forty four yard gain. And and Williams, this kid is—I've I've been really impressed with him. He's he looks every bit the part as it pertains to, uh, his, his, his stockiness and the way he runs the football. And, and, and the, the only thing that can really, I think, dominate a, a, a defense and this Aztec defense is a good defense is a, is a great player. And, and that's what they have on their hands this week in that running attack from UNLV. They have a guy who they know at any point in the game. Uh, can bust that game open, and that's what they saw happen against Fresno State. Uh, the Fresno State running back really gassed San Diego State, and most of it was out of the pure talent of him. So, yeah, I would definitely expect them to um, come out with the with the intensity of in the run, uh, but specifically stopping stopping the star in the backfield.
4: Speaking with Jared Tober, um, San Diego State pregame host played wide receiver for the Aztecs. You were at two and two, if I'm not mistaken, in, in your career against UNLV. How big is this game? And, and is it important for UNLV to finish strong um, in terms of recruiting? And, you know, they, they exceeded the sports books expectations, which where the win total was one and a half. They got two wins, but against a rival like San Diego state next week, they, this is the home finale next week. They go up to air force, but Finishing strong, like what you're hearing down there, especially recruiting in the Southern California parts, you're a big star at Mira Mesa. Um, how big is do, is it important win or lose and what UNLV has to do to close out being strong for their recruitment?
5: You know, it, it's huge. Um, you know, we, we always had a saying, and and I think, I think the saying is still true. You're, you're only as good as your last game. So uh, I think as you get to the end of the season here, this UNLV football program is going to want to continue uh, the momentum that they had on the field and carry that momentum into those recruiting conversations. It's one thing to be uh, two and eight, right? To, to to drop your first eight games um, and, and have a current record of two and eight, but it's another thing to be two and zero. Oh. And right now, this UNLV football team is is two and zero oh with two to go, and and a win against San Diego State um would be a huge a huge accomplishment for them uh, not only on the field but 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 off the field in recruiting and then also playing against a, an air force team to to close out the season i mean if UNLV can string together a couple more wins to the end of the year i think they'll find themselves in competition uh for some kids out there who who believe in the in the growth and the projection of of Coach Royal's program
1: JR, we appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll see you out at Allegiant tomorrow
5: night. Thank you. Sounds good. You guys have a great one. Thanks for having me.
1: There he is, JR Tolver. I think I assumed he was coming here. He might, be, he might be based back in San Diego for the game. But anyway, the their, uh, their broadcasting will be here for the game. 8.30 start, 4 o'clock hours on the way. We cut out at 5 o'clock for Thursday Night Football. We'll get you the latest numbers updates on the Patriots and Falcons. And we'll see if anything else comes down about this bizarro story about Antonio Brown and a potential fake Vax card.
0: At the William Hill Race and Sportsbook, sign up for the mobile betting app and get $50 added
4: to your account.